from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jersey Gwizdowski, I'm an actor. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Carrie Flanagan, I'm an actor. Jennifer Kerfman, I'm an actor. And Kit Lavoy, I'm a writer and a director. Today, we're talking about being a theater student. Uh, studying theater is a sort of odd course of study compared to others. That if you're studying history, you're learning about history. If you're studying literature, you're learning about literature. If you're studying acting, or writing or directing, although in this case, especially acting, the subject really is the student more than something outside of the student that they're supposed to learn about. It really is a process about learning about yourself. And therefore, there's a degree to which entering a conservatory program or a master's degree program, even if you've been a successful student in high school or in your undergraduate years, there's a degree to which the experience of being a student in the area of theater is something different than being a student in the places where you may have been a student before. Um, there are, of course, many different kinds of theater programs. There's uh, undergraduate programs, graduate programs. Within the undergraduate programs, there are conservatory-type programs, and there are more liberal arts programs, BA programs, BFA programs. There are also non-degree uh, theater programs. What we are talking about today, though, is uh, being a student in a program of some sort, as opposed to in an independent uh, class. And so what we want to talk about today is our experience as theater students, the things that we learned, the things that we uh, were glad we did the way that we did, and the things we might have wished that we uh, did differently. We have around the table a really varied collection of people who came from different kinds of programs. So to start us off, why don't you guys tell us about uh, where you studied and, and what kind of program it was. I studied at uh, the North Carolina School of the Arts, which I guess is now the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. It's a BFA conservatory program, an undergraduate level degree, and the school itself offers not only um, BFAs, uh, but some BAs in other disciplines and non-degree certificates, because there are a good number of people who come to the school as a graduate program or as, you know, a additional training, and I came out with a BFA in drama. I went to New York University, and there are two different ways to have a theater major there, but I studied at the Tisch School of the Arts, and it's a BFA program. And the interesting thing about the NYU program is that it's kind of balanced between being a conservatory program and a liberal arts program, um, which is why I wanted to be there. We spent three days a week working on sort of a conservatory schedule and two days a week on an academic schedule. So it was, it was a BFA, but with a very strong liberal arts education as well. I went to Fordham University, and I actually got my degree in communication and media studies. Um, but while I was there, I became very active in the theater groups there and took a few acting classes that were offered. I also went to Fordham University and I got a degree in uh, art and history and theology. And I um, 
then went on to get my master's in acting at New School University, my MFA, through the Actress Studio Drama School. I also went to Fordham. I actually have known Carrie since I think forever um, at this point. Uh, but I also was a, was a non-theater major as an undergrad. I was a political science major. And then I went to the Actors Studio Drama School uh, and got an MFA in directing. And something that is actually relatively unique about that program as a program is one that it is connected with the Actors Studio. But additionally, that they put a real emphasis on training actors, directors, and playwrights side by side and in the same classes. And really that the directors have to take basically the entire acting curriculum in addition to their directing courses which was actually a big part of the reason that I chose that program. I actually think that's, you know, probably an important thing to, to touch on is what, when you're looking for a program, what do you look for? And, I mean, I know for me, one of the real uh, attractors to that program was the fact that I, I knew that I wanted to transfer into directing. I had done some directing, but I had been prim primarily an actor. But that idea of training that was director training that was really based in actor training was something that was very exciting to me and that's why I, I wanted to go there. Uh, you actually said, uh, Jen, that, that the liberal arts element of uh, NYU was something that attracted you. Yeah, I really wanted to get a liberal arts education but I'd known for a very long time that I wanted an acting degree. I'd known for a very long time that I wanted acting training. So I was looking at a lot of conservatory programs, but it was very important to me that educational element of it be an important part of the college experience for me. So I looked at NYU and, and found NYU to be a great home for me, in part because I had the opportunity to do both of those things, and I also had the opportunity to um, navigate how much I needed to be nurtured. I was able to have this sort of nurturing conservatory education as well as a full-blown college experience. What other considerations do you guys think uh, should go into a choice of a training program? Well, should is an interesting qualifier to mm -hmm. that <laughs> because, um, you know, uh, I knew going in that I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, which when you're selecting a career path and a degree is a complicated situation to find yourself in. And my decision, based on what I learned from the people in my school, I ended up staying at the school and loving it and, and staying in the, in the industry, and, and um, I'm very, very happy with the decision I made and the training I got. But I really used my experience in this very intensive conservatory setting to make that decision. I was really not yet ready to track my life in that way. So I decided to track my life in a particular way that I knew it, that I, I knew I, had found, I would find myself at a place that if I wasn't interested in it, I would know very early on that I didn't want to dip my toe in. Because if I'm doing theater conservatory training from, from like 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. my freshman year, uh, I would know pretty quickly whether or not that, that that's something that I wanted to do. And uh, I ended up having a phenomenal time and falling in love with, with the training and the program that I got. So in terms of should, I guess you should be honest with where you are when you're making that decision. That's so interesting just because I, I have said and I, you know, I, I, I am candidly skeptical of undergraduate level conservatory training. And I mean that said, I have 
certainly, you know, directed and guest taught in those circumstances. I expect I will be on the faculty at a place like that someday. And yet, I remain skeptical of the idea that someone at 17 should be making the kind of choice to go into the arts for a career that the choice of going to a conservatory seems to bring with it. But that idea of using it as a proving ground for yourself, as that opportunity to not dip your toe, but to really give it a full-out attempt and find out if it's really what you want to do, that actually is a really interesting idea to me. And actually, candidly, especially given the fact that a lot of schools have cuts, those that don't, you can certainly leave. And I mean, I suppose there is something that if you walk in prepared to say, if this is not going well at the end of year one or year two, I still have time to make other choices. But I think that then becomes incumbent upon you to really give it your all year one and year two and find out whether it's that's the place you want to be. Or find out whether or not you're willing to give it your all because there were yeah. definitely people that weren't. And you know, my program had uh, not a rigorous cutting system but cut people. But there are also people that, that left after the first year that, that I don't know if they went to school at a place like that to make the same type of decision that I was there to make, but they ended up making that decision. And it came as more of a surprise to them than it did to me. And I'm sure others who might not have expected to be there to make that type of decision ended up making it and made the decision to stay or to switch disciplines. But I think that's a really valuable place to put yourself in because there's, it's hard, it becomes harder to make allowances when you're fully committed. It's really interesting. I think You said, I think, towards the end that you have to be honest about where... You are, I think that's what you said. Yeah. Um, in terms of should. In terms of yeah. in terms of should. I remember. I'm trying to back think back to the decision making, but I remember knowing I want to live in New York City, for sure, but not wanting to be thrown in the middle of it. I wanted the college experience. I wanted the the campus and the you know everything that goes with it. I also came from an all girls private high school, so I kind of was just at a developmental place that I was just kind of like, you know, I really, as far as living, that I was like, you know, which, long story short, made me choose a Jesuit school because I, it's what tipped me off into my interest in theology and I, I just knew, I was like, I, I want to learn more about the world because I knew someday I was going to be an actor. So, and I knew I'd get my master's eventually and do, do that route. So that was the time, I, that's where I knew I was. So that was the time I was taking to figure out more about just being a person. Pretty much, you pretty much had it figured out that you were going to do. Well, there was a little hiccup when I thought I was going to be a cardiologist, but that was only a couple of months. <laughs> you have to go th but yeah, I think you have to go through those hiccups, man. Like, you, have you have to. to. I, mean, I still go through yeah. those hiccups. Like, you know, I you, thought about you medical went... school the other day. Yeah. I mean, like, like, I think that you just, it, it was a, that's where I was, is trying to figure out who I was. And I knew that New York was the place to be if you wanted to be an actor, if you wanted to be a stage actor specifically. And I knew I was going to the right place, I just needed a little bit of a buffer zone to figure out myself. I, I think it's a time in your life when you are, to some degree or other, required to make some kind of a choice, <laughs> especially if you're going to go into any kind of a program of anything. <laughs> and I always allowed the possibility that I would change my mind later. But I decided that right now I knew the thing I wanted to do, so I was going to go and study that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I left high school thinking I wanted to do something, not totally different, but I was really interested in the technical side of theater and I was really excited about getting involved in like the technical side of radio and TV. 
which is why I was looking at schools for communications. And I was deciding between Emerson and Fordham, and Emerson would have been a much more like hands-on communication school. But I also really wanted to be in New York, and I think because of the theater aspect of it. Um, so I ended up going to uh, Fordham in New York and getting my degree in communications, um, but then going to theater after that once I learned that that's actually really where I wanted to, to be. I'm curious, Carrie, about going back to what you were saying a minute ago about that you chose a Jesuit school in New York City and not a theater major to kind of get your, you know, personal ducks, non cardiac ducks in a row. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then what figured into the decision instead of, I mean, you already lived in New York City. Um, or in Making the, this a... Uh, well, instead of just going and starting auditioning, why did you decide to go back for a master's degree? Because I knew that... Uh, I know exactly why. Because I knew that I was good at what I did. I just didn't understand it. Huh. I needed a, a craft to wrap around what I was experiencing because I wasn't able to accurately replicate it. So I knew I needed, I needed outside. I needed to be more um, objective about it. That's why I went back. I was actually, a, I was in a band at the time yeah. and was going to do that for a while as far as I knew and then just kind of come back and audition and things kind of stalled with that and I thought it was a perfect time to reassess and the perfect time to go and step back and learn more about what it is I say I'm going to do for the rest of my life. How, uh, how aware were you of that goal the, the time that you were in school? that you were trying to explain for yourself, your process, or? Oh, when I was in grad yeah, school? Yeah, when, when you were in grad I school. I always knew. I knew from the minute I got, that's why I was there. I didn't go there to get better. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound terrible? I went there to <laughs> um, understand what it was that made me, that, that I had to offer, that I, that I was my skill set. That's great. The fir I think it's like the first day when I went into my program there's like a freshman orientation and the, there's a speech or a handout or something but our, our dean uh, Gerald Friedman he said or distributed something about the you know the need for craft and the need for training and it's something that I really identified I remember driving as a junior or senior in high school thing like I'm about to go to college for acting and I have no idea what it is or like what I'm doing people you know I'm, I think I'm good at it but like I think I'm just talking wildly like I'm not really sure what I'm doing <laughs> Um, you know, really like making faces and talking funny, you know, um, but I had no way to sort of codify it. And, um, that th there was something really refreshing, um, that I, I'll, I'll say that he said it, but it might've been something I read that he wrote, but, um, <laughs> you know, is it, this is what we do at the school. You know, you're going to learn a craft, you're going to learn a particular approach, you're going to learn some terminology, you're going to learn a way into the work that, that you're going to be doing for the next four years here. This is a basic outline of the kind of work that we do. Does everybody do this? No, not everybody does this. Most people don't do things this way. A good number of people do. Are there people who do nothing and have no craft, never went to school, and are brilliant uh, at any given field, including acting? Yes. And what it said at the bottom thing is, and if you think you're one of these geniuses, by all means, go for it. <laughs> You know, um, but this is a place to study for the other 99.99% of people in the arts that really yeah. need something firm to hold on to and come back to. 
Um, and that doesn't mean that you make you don't make it your own and that you don't evolve and bring things from other parts of your life and your professional career and that you ever stop developing what that thing is for yourself. But that you have that initial thing you can hang your head on that you're not in the dark just talking loudly and making funny faces. Well, <laughs> but that is fun. Um, <laughs> I remember early on in our grad school, who was it? That's, was it Lipton? Somebody said... Um, there's going to be a day when you realize you never knew. What, what was it exactly? Well, he said there will be a day that you realize that, I want to say he said, but this doesn't you've seem never right, acted that you've never before. acted before is what yeah. it sounds like. And there will be a day where you realize you've never acted before and you will never be the same after that. And I thought, oh, that's so exciting. It's our first day of school and that's great. Totally untrue, but a great thing to say. <laughs> Except that day came one day, and I totally knew exactly what he meant, where there was a day in class where I went, oh, yeah. this is oh. what we're doing. I understand. And I, but that really is a real challenge and something that I think, you know, students going into theater school need to prepare themselves for. That... If you decide to go into an undergraduate conservatory program or BA or BFA program, it's probably because you were one of the best actors in your high school. If you decide to go into your graduate into a graduate program, it's probably because you're one of the best actors in your uh, in your college. But that there really is a degree to which a whole bunch of the early part of uh, any program like that, any training like that, is about really kind of breaking you of your bad habits, the habits usually that you think are good habits. And it can be a really, and again, in a very different way than someone who goes to study history and then learns, oh, no, 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 I understand that's what your high school teacher told you was the reason for the Civil War, but that's <laughs> not true. There are these other reasons. And you could say, oh, well, I'm so glad I came here because my teacher was wrong in high school, but I'm glad it brought me here. Whereas if you know I was a fantastic Annie and that's why I'm coming to, to college here, and all of a sudden that thing that you define yourself as being great at there are people who are 30 years older than you looking at you saying, please don't do it like that anymore. <laughs> that is not a good way to do it. It's a lot harder to separate yourself from that than it, is to, than it is to separate yourself from the fact that there's more advanced mathematics or science that you didn't understand when you were in high school. Especially because, I mean, I imagine a lot of times in your um, undergraduate and graduate uh, experience with... Um, classes and professors is your teachers are professionals. They've worked. They've been in the industry for the most part. They've been in films. You might have seen them in things. So you, you automatically want them to like you and think that their opinion... I mean, it's different than if your history, you know, professor knocks you for not knowing what started the Civil War or something like that. <laughs> Um, but, but these are people that have worked and if they're telling you that you're doing it wrong and that you should never do that again, it can, it's different. Yeah. It's that. And it's also, I think as simple as your product and you are the same thing and there's nothing else like that. There's nothing mm -hmm. else like that in the world where you're, it's, and that is the, that is a big part of why I went to grad school too is, and what I say is what what I mean when I say try to understand what I do is that I needed to separate myself from what I do. It was very much a part of what I do, but that's what makes it a craft and makes you be able to hear mm -hmm. these things said and realize it's not about, this isn't about me personally. This is about a thing I'm doing and I need to approach it a different way and I need to do this. 
And I think it's much harder when it, you're talking about acting or direct, even direct, like anything, because it, what you're selling is you. Yeah, and there really is. It's, a, it's even different than the other arts, especially mm -hmm. acting. That, I mean, if you're a painter, somebody will say, you know, I didn't like your painting. Your painting in your gallery show last night was lousy. Whereas what you hear was you were lousy in that show last night. Yeah. There, is no, there is no separating factor. And when you're talking about signing up to say, I am a terrific actor and that's why I should go to school for acting, what you're going to be hearing about day after day after day after day are the reasons that you are not as good at it as you thought that you were. But that's what you signed up for and it's going to make you better in the long run. But you, you have to be prepared for that. Because not everybody handles it as Dell. I mean, you gotta. Oh, oh. It, you're gonna hear it all kinds of ways, too. It's not. It's it's. Some people come from the more nurturing approach. <laughs> some people do not. <laughs> I think that's that's really that's really true. There are there are a couple things that seem to be added on, um, the kind of student approach, meaning. You may go to uh, as a history major and learn that the reasons for behind the Civil War were much more complicated than, than you might have been led to believe in high school, you know, or that there, there are, there's, there's that element of it, which I think, to some extent, as you did mention, there is more complicated math, there's more complicated science, there's further levels of study, that there, there's that which might be universal to a sort of higher education. The attitude toward that education meaning like the fine the getting it right and the pleasing the teacher thing like that is a huge kind of thing that you bring in or can bring in um, but then the thing that is especially unique to theater training especially actor training which is that you are your own product you're not the guy who makes birdhouses but you're the birdhouse <laughs> or the whatever you know and um, and those things pile on top of each other it can be really complicated and then a large I think so many schools like spend uh, the first year of either a three or four year or two year program trying to pull all that stuff off of you because you can't you know you can't really start cleaning your house until you've gotten rid of all the stuff you've swept under the rug you know you gotta get rid of that first and, and um, that's just part of it in my school they called that uh, they, they had a way of putting that to us. Uh, they said, we're going to break you down before we can build you back up again. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, And it is something that I, I remember hearing that before I went to school. I remember hearing that while I was in school. And to be honest with you, that felt a little bit cruel and obligatory. You know, the idea that we're just going to break you down and start fresh. And it's like, well, what was the point of me showing up here with anything, if that's what you're going to do. But the thing is, actually, I don't think that's really what it is. It's not about starting from a neutral palette. But, I mean, having been on the other side of it and teaching people, there really are things where it's just like there are habits that people have developed that any everything else is going to get tangled up on, and you need to break those habits before you can really break through and do anything new. So... Um, they really are. I mean, the important thing to remember is that the teachers who are doing that, even if they're doing it in the not as kind a way as might be, you know, wished for, mm -hmm. are still in most cases doing you a service in the big picture. Oh, yeah. um, 
you know, and, and that idea that for the very most part, I think people don't realize, there's sort of that thing about people who do, people who can do, people who don't teach, and that's people who end up teaching, the, uh, teaching theater at colleges or people who couldn't make it as an actor. It is a very, very, very competitive thing to get a faculty position on and performing arts faculty. It is a very difficult job to get. And so for the people who are doing that, it's because they've decided they want to teach. Um, and, uh, you know, and that, and that includes breaking you down. And I, frankly, I certainly lean much, toward, much more towards the gently guide people through. But there have been some times that somebody just needs to be told, stop that. It is not good. You are not funny when you do that. I don't believe it when you do that or whatever it is. You know what? That's not, I think, the first option. But, I mean, sometimes that can save you several months of time of actually getting to real work on your work rather than, you know, continuing the battle to try to let the habits you walked in with do the work for, you know, continue to do the work for you. Um, you know, that said, I also think it is important. I remember it was a really important part of my training experience was there came a point at which I was getting very frustrated. I mean, that's part of what you're signing up for, is you're banging your head against the walls, things aren't working. I said, wait a minute. I was in shows before I came here. There were things I knew how to do, and I'm going to stop ignoring that I knew how to do those things, and brought it back in. And there actually was sort of, once those things were married to the new things that I was learning, things really started taking off. But I also was really glad that I did give it a year where I wasn't trying to force those issues because then there were new things and those old things that were able to dance together rather than forcing anything new I had to fit in to the old habits that I had. You need that time, especially, I mean, if you're 17 and deciding if there's something you want to do with your career or at one of those decision points that we articulate at the beginning, which is one of the reasons I, you know, in a large part agree with with one of Kit's sentiments about um, undergrad acting training. But the, that being what I did, um, I mean, that's just another reason. You're gonna, you're, this is a very likely a young adult who is just becoming an adult and deal, I mean, I mean, like dealing with identity and all this other stuff, just life stuff, like moving away and all, you know, all this, you know, pretty, you know, big stuff and um, growing up. And although, I took advantage of and was able to use that first year of actor training pretty well, you know, and, and hit road bumps, which are, that's what happens, that's what you do. And um, I also know that if I'd had more time in between before I started, if I'd had an extra year, I would have been better prepared to meet those challenges. I would have seen them coming. I would, have been, would not have been as blindsided, you know. Um, and I found myself wishing that, especially while I was in the thick of it or immediately afterward, for sure. That actually was something that I actually did in between my undergraduate year and my graduate schools. I took a year. And that actually is something that I would really recommend. I actually hear it's something you really should think very seriously about doing about any sort of graduate training that you do. But there was a palpable difference that I could feel among the students in my class between those people who came directly from undergrad and those who had taken a year or those who had taken more, that the people who had gone out into the quote-unquote real world a little bit had a sense of purpose 
that served them incredibly well, that it was not an obligatory continuation of their education. And I think if you are going to go directly from undergrad to graduate, there is at least something of real value to stepping back and recognizing that choice that you've made. No, yeah, I agree with that. I'm being a little redundant, but I, I took two years off between, um, ended up one full year at a full-time job with a company, and it, ju it really just made a huge difference. Also that I went to undergrad in New York, so I came back, I had a kind of family of friends that I had before grad school, so I didn't, I wasn't at grad school to hang out, you know, and um, I think that made a huge difference with my experience. And I think one of the things that that gives you is perspective. And, and I think probably the most important perspective to have is actually a really difficult one to embrace. But it's the idea that when you're in a program, whether it be undergraduate or graduate, you're there to be a theater student and not to be a theater artist. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't want to express yourself. It doesn't mean that you know you are not an artist at base or that's not what you're training for. But you got to look at the long game of your career and realize that the time that you are there in school is about building your tools, is about trying things, having a place where you can fail. It's not the most important thing that you do extraordinary transcendent work, but that you walk away with as big and deep a set of tools as you can so that when you get out in the world, you're able to do that transcendent work. And you know, it's something that they you know, that is true that Picasso, if you look, was capable of painting very realistic portraits. Um, that was something that, you know, he had to learn how to do before he could break the rules. And that idea of really using the time that you're in school to learn as much as you can, as many techniques as you can, to try things, to find the things that don't work especially well for you. It's something that Stella Adler said, the idea that the talent is in the choice. And there's a lot of different ways that people have interpreted it. And one way that it is true is that what makes you the theater artist, what makes you the actor, what makes you the director, what makes you the writer that you are, are the tools that you choose to use when you're approaching a role, when you're approaching a script, when you're approaching a production. And if you have a wide variety of tools to choose from, that you are going to be able to make smarter choices. You're going to be able to make choices that really define you as an artist. And you're going to have backup plans if those first plans don't work. But if you spend your entire time in school deciding there's this one specific way that you want to work because that's where your art is and refusing essentially to participate in anything that is not that, and I certainly knew a lot of people in school who did that, you're really spending an awful lot of time and money to essentially refuse to learn anything. And if you're in a class that's about using mask work, if you're in a class that's about using Meisner, if you're in a class that's about, you know, tackling this uh, traditional Aristotelian structure, that do that while you're in that class. You don't have to do it after you leave, but you won't be able to do it after you leave if you don't take the time to learn it while you're in a class with a master who can teach it to you. Word. 
you can take that perspective from a sort of macro sense about your approach to the arts, but also as, as Kit alluded to, in each individual class, you'll be able to integrate and to utilize the training that you're getting. I know, I mean, in my program, we had professors with myriad backgrounds, even within a discipline. I mean, uh, several voice uh, backgrounds, that it was really about the people there and the different ways in and I feel, one of the reasons I feel incredibly fortunate to have uh, studied in my program is that we, w we were given this phenomenal required menu of so many different ways into some of the same techniques in a given year, a given semester for that matter. And the joy of it was to fully jump in and to see not only which ones you took to the most, but also the way that they all related to each other or the ones that you the ones that you would stumble upon would would reveal something about your work that you needed to address and that's probably where you should be spending some attention while your you or your family or you know your scholarship or what what have you is paying the all this money for you to be there you might as well use that time to really, you know, sweep all that stuff out from under the rug or to really fine tune the things that you may be really great at um, to, to um, get a more detailed and sophisticated sense of your own instrument and the way that you learn. Because you will, after you're out of school, you're not only learning things, you're learning how you learn things in this discipline. And you will continue to learn things once you make that transition from student to artist. You're not going to stop learning, but hopefully the amount of information and the uh, amount of times that you have gone through a process of working on a show or a film or a script will have given you tools to take in new information and use it in a fruitful and productive way. That's so important, that idea that just because you agree to go along with the class, just because you agree to do what the class is teaching, doesn't mean that you're an automaton and a robot who's not interacting with what you're being taught. Because I am of the bias that creative people are essentially reactive people. They are not people who, who just make something out of whole cloth. They're people who see something in the world they want to say something about. Actors see something in other actor that they want to respond to. That they are incredibly engaged and reactive people. And so you can be doing Meisner work or mask work or whatever that is not necessarily the thing that is going to be your you know wheelhouse, the thing you work from. But you can respond to it, and you can learn from it. And I think that idea to keep open to responding to the things you're presented rather than responding against the things that you are presented. And it's something that um, I actually talked at, at, at fair length, I think, because it was a discovery I made when we did the episode uh, last season, I guess, on sensory work. But I had done, you know, I went to the actor's studio. There was a lot of, of training in sensory work, which I don't think of as being a major part of my process. And yet, when I was thinking about what that training was, I've come to realize that even though I don't do a lot of, like, sensory exercises, 
the things I learned from that training have become adapted into things that are things I use every single day in my work. And every single day in my work as a director. And it's because there were things that I responded to when learning that. There were things that I, um, that I reshaped into things that I could use. But I couldn't have reshaped into things that I could use if I hadn't really given myself over to seeing what they are in their non-bent shape. And, yeah, I mean, well, you never know. You never know at any given point in your career what you're going to need to reach into the bag and pull out. And you want to know that that thing is there. You know, there are things that I'm spending a lot of time working with at this point in my career that even a year or two years ago, I wasn't necessarily pulling out of the bag as often. And that might not have been my favorite or the thing that I was, you know, the best at or whatever when I was training by a long shot. But now, boy, am I glad I have that stuff. And boy, am I a lot better at it now and appreciate it a lot more than I did then. That, you know, um, people people change and artists change and grow and evolve. And, and to have that background, whether or not you think you will use it or you like it, you will. <laughs> it's kind of inevitable that the one thing that you resist the most is going to... They should write a play about that. Um, the one thing that you you know keep trying to avoid is the one is the thing that comes to uh, gets you to gouge your eyes out if you don't acknowledge it. And I think all of those things, the things that you can learn that you may not expect to be a part of your toolbox at some point, are also important because they help you recognize the things you really do want to have in your toolbox, the things that you really do connect to. So it gives you an additional way to evaluate the things that are starting to work for you. And then an arsenal of other things you can try if those things aren't quite enough. And I also think another thing just to do is to embrace your time as a student. I, I know there can be, especially once you get a little while into it, you can't wait to be out. You can't wait to be in the real world. You get tired of being in school. Looking back on it, I treasure every of those moments that I spent in school. I miss it. I love the work I'm doing now. But there's something that's so special about being at a place and a time in your work where you're there to learn, where you have support, where if you fail, the very worst thing that happens is that you have a you know, teacher giving you another way to do it. It's... An extraordinary opportunity, and really that is almost as important as anything, is just to embrace and to be there when you're a student. And, you know, that actually is, you know, something about choosing a program and knowing in your head there is something very exciting about the draw of being in New York City, for example. But I know an awful lot of people who've gone to school in New York City and spent their whole time half in the New York City theater world and half in school that they kind of didn't do either one of them. Um, you know, and it's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a very, very valuable time to be in school and one that once you're three months out of it, you kind of won't believe you don't have anymore. I, uh, this is something I often say in our career seminars, so I'll say it now. Under the, within the... Um, context of you saying the things that we did that we wish we had done that we wish we looked at differently and the things we did that we think we looked at in the right way and I think 
for me, I was, I was, I knew it, but I didn't really understand it. But I feel pretty good with the way I looked at that time in school. That I, you know, um, there were people around that that it's like, man, we have to go to this, and then we have to work on this Shakespeare thing, and then we have our play, and then we have this directing project, and then I have to go to this class, and then I have this other thing, and then all of a sudden, you know, the <laughs> levy breaks, you know, and you are. You, you go from doing seven plays simultaneously, like the greatest, most wonderful collaborators, some of which you will ever work with, and phenomenal masters in their craft uh, as your educators, to, hey, excuse me, uh, remember those one of those I'd like one of those plays, please, that I was doing earlier. One of those would be would be just fine. Um, and you and when you start out, also you are not likely going to be working at, with the same level of um, commitment, and I mean, you know really treasure it while you have it and seek to cultivate that in the work you do outside of school. But that's something that, you know, I think you, that can be, you, you should appreciate it while it, it's ha while it happens because there's so many opportunities to learn great stuff while you're in school. And so many opportunities to crash and burn, yeah, which is where you really, really learn. And I think that's something that I think you get, so, especially because you're being graded on your work, which is a fairly artificial thing that you just kind of have to deal with. But that idea of not to get a... Because that's the thing, actually, about generally the way that grading works is, is that in, in, in theater education, they're not going to grade you badly for not succeeding, usually. They'll grade, grade you badly for not trying um, in, uh, you know, in a theater class. And I think there's almost nothing that you can turn a teacher off more than kind of refusing to give a shot at what they're trying to teach you. Um, but that idea of really being able to say, you know, I'm not hanging this off-Broadway show or this huge audition on giving this technique a try. We have, but I'm going to go full bore at finding out whether this technique does anything for me or not. And you know what, if you go full bore at it and it doesn't do anything for you, you know what you get to say? I have learned that that does not do anything for me. And you can say it honestly and you don't ever have to take that tool out again. Um, but if you haven't really tried it, you know, I mean, it's sort of if you take a hammer out and wave it around in the air and then announce, well, that didn't drive that nail in, well, that, that, uh, that's not actually trying the hammer out. All right. <laughs> and something that you take for granted in school, I know I did, is just your ability to have space to, to work and the people that are there to work. And, I mean, we're very lucky here at Kravik to have a space now. Um, and you know someplace that we can always be working but that's what you have in school you have that place to be working on seven plays and you have you know the people to do it with you and just take advantage of that while you have that you also I think uh, a great opportunity that a lot of people I saw a lot of people I don't know if abuse is the right word or just see right past is it is a great stepping stone to learn how to collaborate with your colleagues and by that, I mean like your, your, your professors are your colleagues. Like show them respect, show them like you have, like show up on, you know, like do the work fully, learn how to be in a room with other artists. That's what those professors are there to teach you. It's not just how to, how to, you know, execute a good song or whatever. It's, it's how to be in a room with other artists respectfully. And I think it's a 
how many, you know, in a lot of other professions, you don't necessarily get that sort of dynamic with your, with your teachers, which is a half an hour after you leave class, you guys might be working on a play together. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just think that's, it's, it's a great thing. And I saw that abused a lot in school where people still had that old, like from first grade or something, I have no idea, like teacher, student, and the teacher's mad at me and all this other nonsense. And I just think you have to work hard at learning from your professors of how, how to be a how to be a good colleague a collaborator mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so much of our work is about collaboration and, and the college or you know grad school experience in training the theater is an can be an exercise in transitioning from a student teacher relationship to a collaborator relationship and that's something that I mean as we as we sit around the table and talk about in retrospect our education. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I was not speaking this articulately and with this much wisdom about it, <laughs> any wisdom that I might be bringing now, um, that the failure that we're talking about is just that. Like, as much as I heard it or, and wanted to do it right and believe it, I still thought, like, certain things and they were totally wrong. But, you know, and this is something that I really wish I'd taken more advantage of, is the opportunity to make that transition from a traditional student-teacher relationship to one of a colleague, one of a collaborator, one of somebody that you know is a you know somebody who has something to to teach you and is a really um, has devoted their lives to teaching young people this this craft, their craft, um, but also seeks collaborators and is looking for that in their students, and that's something really special that I wish I had more of a sense of when I was in school. We talked about the um, the talent is in the choice and I think for me the bottom line is not which program you choose or which technique you choose but choosing to take ownership of your education mm -hmm. that's where the choice matters yeah and I think another really important thing to take ownership and responsibility for is the program that you've chosen because the and, and to take seriously that choice. But it is one thing that I agree that, you know, people, you know, you want to see embrace the role of collaborator with their teachers. And especially, not only collaborators like they might be in a show together, but frankly, you are collaborators in the process of figuring out your technique. That if you can embrace them as someone who's there to work with you to figure out how you respond to the world and how you can tap into that, there's not a teacher in the world who isn't going to be delighted to be welcomed into that, um, into that collaboration with you. Um, but the thing is, is I have seen both when I was in school and at uh, programs where I've um, taught and guest directed, the one place where um, students feel very, very open to collaborating with is like with the administration and debating the merits of the structure of the program. I mean, just don't. It is, I mean, but there's something to, you have signed up, you saw the program, you decided this is the one you want to go to. Go and do the program that you signed up to do. I see so many people spending so much effort debating whether they should have to take a third semester of voice and what that's what you signed up to do and just embrace that and do it and learn because you know what smart thoughtful people learn from everything that they do if your answer is I don't want to take a third semester of voice because I have nothing more to learn from it that reflects more on you than it does on the program mm -hmm. 
you should embrace it, especially if you if you have issue with it, because you know after your um, graduate study or even your postgraduate study, or then there's this post postgraduate program mm -hmm. uh, called life <laughs> that uh, isn't really that well. Um, you know, uh, run. The administrators aren't great. <laughs> you know, the, the 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 time management's terrible. You know, it's, there's a lot of unfair stuff to chase down. You know, it's and the cuts are you know it's terrible. But it's like I mean, really, you know, it's gonna prepare you for dealing with things that you know. It's gonna prepare you for dealing with things, which yeah. is part of what it is to be a working artist. So. Even if you think that you you found yourself in the worst program, either find a way out, or but while you're there, really embrace it and do it because it's not going to be the first or the last time that you're in a situation that is challenging, either <laughs> that your presence makes challenging, either as a participant <laughs> or you know. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about um, individual classes that you might take because and it gets to things we've 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 touched on already, but I think that it really is. Important, I think, when you're talking about those big overall arcing goals of what you're there to do during um, your time uh, at school, that that's not what you're doing every single minute, that you're doing parts of that. And I think something that's really freeing and really important is to realize that not every class is teaching you acting. You're not there learning acting all the time. What you're there is you're learning a technique, you're learning vocal work, you're learning movement work, and that idea of really learning the things that you are learning in an individual class so that you can pull it together into something. And a lot of times actually, I know there were a number of things that I learned and wasn't sure why I was learning it until we got a year and a half later and all of a sudden I found a use for it when I was further down in my other training that I was like, oh, that's how that's useful. Um, what do you guys think in terms of specific classes and the use of them? I think in terms of all of those different classes and, and looking back a year later or four years later and, and realizing what they were good for. Um, I feel like they all come together to help you train your body to respond to your own instincts. Mm -hmm. So every class that I took, it was exactly what we've talked about. I had to trust that there was a reason because eventually it was incredibly important to my instrument that I had taken some movement class when I was a freshman that I couldn't possibly understand why it was valuable. Mm -hmm. But I think that's also an important thing to embrace is that it's not that there's a magical decoder ring for the reason that this class is important. It's the things they take time to teach are valuable things to people, but the way that you end up finding it valuable is the thing that's going to make you the unique artist that you are. Um, and, you know, and, and to embrace that, that this is an arrow I am putting in my quiver, and it might be one I pull out all the time, it might be one that... I only pull out occasionally, it might be one I never pull out, but it changes the weight of the quiver on my back and it changes just the way that I carry myself. Yeah, something you have at your disposal. Yeah. Um, and it, I think the way that the specific classes, I mean, you want to learn the discipline of the class, but also as they fit together within you as a student, as an artist, that's another opportunity to learn how you learn, to see how these things interact with each other. I um, had a wonderful uh, Linklater voice teacher in school, and through the process that we 
she gave us of building our own and some of the stuff I you know thought was like really silly. Oh, we had to make these sounds and I felt like really goofy and it felt kind of you know artsy fartsy to me at some points. But you know a lot of it I, I I really I took to and and the stuff that I didn't I did and you know I still do some of it today because it really works. Um, but there's a process of building your own personal warm up that was a great exercise to get a great vocal warm-up that I still use today and develop and add to and subtract from and you know focus on specific areas and do before auditions. But the process of taking the tools, taking the materials that I learned not only, and she was really wonderful about encouraging us to do this, the different vocal teachers we had with different disciplines, any of the things that were useful to us. I had a greater structure and I gleaned and brought to my personal warm-up slash workout the things that were the most useful to me and I spent extra time focusing on my the places that I needed to spend extra focus and from that point on in her you know her vocal uh, class we rather than doing the lead group warm-up we would do our own individualized warm-ups and it's something I've been doing now for years but what I really took away from that was the approach to learning that there's a greater structure, there's sort of macro structure, but then within that there are these tools that you can use to build something for yourself, to make that quiver, to be aware of the quiver, the toolbox. I mean, to think about your training in that way is the first initial gift. That's the, might be the first aha moment to say, oh, this is for me. When I leave here, I don't want to leave with everybody thinking, oh man, that guy was so great at acting. I want to leave here with a bunch of tools that I can take with me, um, and I want to be adept at them when I walk out the door. That actually makes me realize something, I think, interesting, <laughs> which is that I think that what most artist training is really about, what the tools that you develop are about, are about techniques that allow you to activate yourself. Because I actually think it is something that a lot of ways that people walk into training, they walk in, I think, a lot of ways, one of two ways. There's one with a lot of tricks they know, which I think is the way I walked in. That I knew a lot of things about, you know, pause time and how to use my voice and, you know, kind of how to be interesting on stage but that aha moment for me when it came was really about when something happened that I didn't expect to happen where it was the moment where I did not plan for this to happen and that thing that happened was much more interesting than anything I could have planned to happen and I think what you described Carrie is something where because I, I mean I knew you before you went in for training and you were very organic as an actor but I also know that you had difficulty repeating a performance because it was so organic. And I actually think that the very, that most actor training really is about bringing those two things together, to, to finding the techniques, but to being sure that the te techniques are not something that stand apart from you, but are something that activate you. And that's why, you know, again, you want to try a lot of different things, because you know what? You will be very, very, very surprised by the things that work on you. That aha moment day for me was working on something that I remember my teacher describing, and I was like, ah. Oh, Okay, I mean, I guess we'll do this, but I don't know why a person would do this. And it totally broke everything open for me and changed the way I acted every day from then on. And you, then you get that. You always have that. And yeah. then you can start working on ways to keep doing that and do it better and, you know, find other avenues and doors. 
That's great. Do you guys have thoughts about specific classes and the values of the voice classes and movement classes and other things like that? Absolutely. I think um, we've talked so much about different techniques and different tools, but um, there is a physical training to being an actor. There is a physical responsibility, and there are ever so many kinds of voice classes and ever so many kinds of movement classes, but both of them are critically important to getting your body in shape and helping you get your body out of your own way to be able to do all of the things you're learning in your scene study class and in your sensory work and your technique classes. I, uh, I agree because I think, I think the one thing a lot of actors have in common is we're all, yes I'll say it, we're all highly intelligent people and tend to, <laughs> I really believe this, and, but specifically very cerebral and really get into our heads about things. So I think classes like the, you know, the movement class, like you said, and the voice class and things, specifically basic tech class, which is like a sensory, um, getting you in your body, essentially, is, is a, the most valuable thing of my, part of my training, I think because um, there's a lot that's wrapped up in your body. It's a lot of stories your body knows better than your brain knows, and you, you have to be able to understand that part of the instrument, which is a major part of your instrument your body is. Mm. It's like the physical part. <laughs> well, also like connect those pathways, you know, not just get out of your way, but like get behind you. <laughs> like to use it, at, have it at your disposal, to be able to do X, Y, and Z to not be limited in the, in the things that you can do, or to know where you are limited, or to know where you excel, you know, to see what is at your disposal and what your skills are, and you know, how to integrate all that wonderful acting training with your whole physical self, and your voice, and you know, all of that is incredibly valuable, not just in kind of getting it out of the way, but then using it. And I also think that there's something about the committing to doing those things, because they're you know, I mean, again, I remember going to going to school, and there were things like you got to take voice class, you've got to take dance class. I was like, I don't want to take dance. I don't really know how to do. What do you? And 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 there were things where where I frankly, a lot of my knee jerk reaction was, this is not important. Why do I need to know this? I don't need to know this. But it was that I was scared of it, and that they're actually some of the most important. Like my voice class. Again, I was a directing uh, major, but. I had to take the, the, the voice and acting classes, and there was something about, I was terrified to sing, I resented terribly they were going to make me sing, and that was one of the most important things I did, if only because it makes you be brave, and it makes you stand up, and it makes you take a risk, and it makes you risk failing, and it makes you see that you're not going to fail at the things you think you are, or if you are, because that is just one of the as a theater artist, it is not interesting to see people get up and act out or a production that's directed or a play that's written that shows safe things that are not dangerous to confront. And if you are committing to being an actor or a director or a writer, you need to have the conviction to stand up and say the things that are uncomfortable to say in the world. And if you can't put on a dance belt and do ballet, or if you can't you know, go and stand up and sing a song in front of a room full of your classmates, you're not going to be able to stand in front of a room full of people and tell a difficult truth. You need to be brave 
And I think if nothing else, even though I don't use my singing training at all in my directing work, there's no use for it. It was one of the most important classes I took. It made me such a better director and a better writer because I had to confront that. And I can't imagine how much better an actor it would have made me if that's what I pursued. Sounds like you use it to me. I take all of that back. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's great. Well, there's something extraordinarily vulnerable about having to go through a boys' class for everyone, even if you sing. Because of the simple nature of the types of sounds you're making, for lack of a better word, they're more primal. We don't walk around talking with these elongated vowels and these wide-open throats, and and we don't we don't walk around every day making those sounds. They're more they're more primal, connected sounds. So it's a very vulnerable class and it, I just think it's highly valuable for everyone to take it, singer, non-singer, whatever, because you will, exactly what you were saying before, you, you have to pretty quickly confront some significant fears and vulnerabilities. Vulnerabilities. You have to confront your vulnerabilities and no one, you know, that's not easy for anyone. And it's a great class to do that. I also think in terms of classes to embrace that I think scare people sometimes is there's uh, the academic classes that I think are an important thing to embrace. And I mean that in a couple of ways. One, like theater history classes. You should take them seriously. You should read them. You should know about this business that you are planning to go into. Um, it is vocational training to go and take and study to be an actor or a director or a writer. And, you know, you and, and to know the canon of work is an important thing. Read. Do the actual reading that you're assigned. It's important. Do you know why? Because when you're out there and trying to build a career and working a day job in the early days of your career, you're not going to have time to read as much as you can in school. The number of times I have a conversation with someone now and they say, oh, do you know this play? And I say, well, I, I read it in grad school, so I know it, but I haven't read it in a, in a few years. Embrace that. And also embrace the academic classes that are non-theatrical. Mm. That you're going, as much as we are talking about that you're there to be a student, you're there to learn the craft, but you're there to learn the craft of an artist. And an artist needs to have something to say. And the number of people who I went to grad school with who had gone to undergrad for theater, who had nothing to say about anything except for acting, I'm not sure where the art is going to come from if you don't know about the world and you don't think things about things that are not just acting craft related. And I also think specifically, like I like to, even now, I will, um, you know, I took, my undergrad again was not in theater, but I now will randomly try to take a class, like every the three hour class every now and again, because there is something different, but like I'll go and read tons of books and different newspapers and everything. But there's a difference between that and being in a room and handed a piece of work that would never occur to you to read. Or maybe you just would never have stumbled across it for whatever reason. And then you're in a room with 10 or 20 other people discussing these ideas and you learn how to discuss and have the give and take of ideas, which is, I, I think just makes you, well, a better person, but also just makes you a, a great collaborator and a great artist. I, I think it just makes the art better. You can't, at the end of the day, especially for actors, you're telling a story about, you're telling people's stories. 95% of the time, the characters you're playing are not actors, they're, <laughs> they're mechanics, they're, they're, they're people in the world, and you, you have to understand how to be a person in the world, I think. And that's not just from undergrad class, but it's, it's from getting yourself into some kind of 
you know. And Kate said at the beginning about the way that acting training is different from lots of other education and it also means that when you're in acting training you're spending an awful lot of time thinking about the world that is you and to expand your theatrical horizons with your theater studies reading plays gives you a context for where you as an artist and you as a person and that character fit into the bigger picture of the theater and then your other classes your other academic opportunities start to open your horizons and and help you see where all the theater fits into the world mm -hmm. and <laughs> it's a it's it's an incredibly important balance to that very self-focused training that you're doing and it also gives you the opportunity just uh, practically to see where your character fits into the world your character's not going to be you and to get a head start on you know knowing you know it's the thing they say you know everything about something and something about everything and I think that's especially important for an actor so that when you're playing a character that does something different than you that comes from a different place that you at least have a starting place on that you at least have some context of what's going on for this person other than the words on the page and you're, as, as we've been saying this, this whole time, you're your own instrument. Um, and it, it's great if you become really proficient at your instrument and you get out of school and it's a kazoo. But you might want to work on the instrument itself and, you know, <laughs> walk out with a Stradivarius, you know? Um, or up, up, upload all that great information. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's really... Uh, you know, fine-tuning the instrument that you will be playing and, and, and making it uh, wonderful and, ma you know, making yourself a responsible part of the world is a big part of being the artist. Absolutely. Um, and before we wrap up, we actually uh, are fortunate enough to have uh, for this episode uh, sitting in with us a couple of our interns for this summer and they are in the midst of being theater students They're on summer break at the moment but they uh, will be returning to school to continue relatively shortly. Um, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Allie Keller. I'm going to be a senior at Bucknell University and I'm a theater major. Hi, I'm Julia Bilbao and I'm going to be a junior at Skidmore College and I am majoring in theater and minoring in Italian. So how did you guys uh, choose the schools that you guys ended up going to? I chose Skidmore College because um, the, theater, the theater program there was um, pre-professional and very into gaining a, a wide range of experience in different aspects of the theater. And it also focused primarily on non-musical theater, which... I've never done musical theater before, and I've shied away from it forever, so I was drawn to that. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was a place where I could be involved in theater as well as try other things and, and learn other places of interest. And I chose to go to Bucknell University when I was 12, and my brother forced me to go with him to visit colleges when he was picking them out. And I saw the theater and thought it was really nice, and that's the original reason of why um, I was looking into Bucknell. But um, the more serious reasons when I got older and was actually seriously looking into schools was because I wanted um, an entire college experience 
of being in dorms and being completely removed from my family in a totally different town experience and they had theater there, which is what I wanted. And what has surprised you about being a theater student? How is it different uh, than you thought it would be when you entered from high school? I love failing at things, which sounds strange, but it's something that I learned how to do frequently, and I guess with some sort of grace in our program, because so much of high school was focused on like getting really good grades and getting good SAT scores and, and being perfect so you could market yourself to colleges. And I kind of assumed that college would be the same way to then market yourself into the real world, but it's actually a really great place to fall on your butt and try as much as you possibly can in everything that you possibly can, as much as you possibly can, and then learning from it and taking that into the next thing that you will inevitably fail at. <laughs> <laughs> or succeed. <laughs> In all of this falling down um, that one does, I think, when one is doing theater training right, what are the most important lessons that you guys have learned while being a student in school, aside from embracing the falling? I guess I've learned that you, I, I feel like there is this attitude in the, there can be this attitude in the theater where, you know, you aren't reading 10 chapters a night of a history textbook and you aren't writing essays and studying for tests. You're, you're going into class and, and doing different things, but you come prepared and you, you have to come in doing your, like, men, your mental homework and, and you need to come with an open mind and, and be ready to work and be ready to be ready to just do it and, and not to shy away and this is your opportunity to work as much as you can. And so I think it's really during the class is where you do all your work and where you are most exhausted. Do you find that most of the people who you have class with share that picture of, of what class is supposed to be in terms of the work? I would say for the most part there are some people who have a more slacker approach to it and, and they get by, but I feel like what I, my approach to it is much more fulfilling and I'm learning a lot more about myself. It is something that, that I think is, is another way that theater education is different than other education, which is, again, if you're, when I was in my political science classes, certainly there could be a discussion where someone was sitting quietly by the side and wasn't involved in the discussion, and I suppose we missed out on their thoughts, but no one was especially hurt by it. But there really is an obligation when you decide you're going to go and study at a uh, theater program and study a collaborative art and enter into scene study where your partner is depending on your work or directing projects where the director is depending on your work that you know they're really you, if the other people aren't showing up to work it actually really does affect the other students in the class in a way that it doesn't in most places. Well it's so interesting I, I never thought of it this way especially because theater students are generally stereotypically against gym class in high school. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's one big, giant, like, PE class. Mm -hmm. Like, you're getting a workout every minute of your education. You know, your body is working. Your voice is working. Your mind is working. You can't just really 
sit back and disengage or kind of be falling asleep in the back. I mean, you need to be, you need to be up and at like your full like power. And not only for the, the shared relationship with your collaborators in the class, but also because you can learn from them if you are mm -hmm. actively engaged yeah. in the work that everyone else is doing around you in a way that is surprising and really, really critical to the experience of being in the class. Mm -hmm. There really are. I mean, are some of the most important classes that I felt like I've been in are ones where I didn't necessarily work. You know, but seeing other people work and seeing them try, and especially given in terms of the the importance of being a, willing to try things and fail at them, mm -hmm. that seeing other people try things and fall, but fall interestingly, and fall in ways that you can see they learn something from, gives you so much power to take that risk yourself. And mm -hmm. fall in ways that you may have fallen yourself. Mm -hmm. And now you have some frame of reference to understand what you might be learning. It's so interesting because I feel like that's where I've gotten 90% of my training is from watching people work and being in rehearsals with you, Kit, and just watching the way you work with actors and like sitting at the table and listening to table work and kind of doing it myself as if I was cast in any of those roles. And that's how I've, I feel like, learned most of what I've learned is from watching other people and engaging in what they're doing. What about you, Allie? What was your most important lesson, do you think, that you've learned from uh, school so far? Um, I don't know how to phrase this, but I guess it's that, like everything we were just saying about working in class like that, but also that you take that lens into everything else that you do. Um, and I think like a big surprise for me in college was that theater is not isolated from the rest of the world, which sounds really silly now that I didn't know that, but theater so often is supposed to be a reflection of life and life is a compilation of all these different things so you're gonna wind up kind of never shutting off in your day-to-day -day life in your other classes because you're gonna pick things up and learn more and eventually someday when you're working on something you're gonna remember what you did in that random biology class that day and it'll come back to you and it's just been an interesting experience to see all that kind of stuff line up. I'm also interested to know from you guys, because this is the Cry Havoc podcast, and you know we have now, this is the finale of our third season, we have three seasons of sort of our approach to um, working that's out there on the podcast and, you know, plenty of other things that we think about working. So I'm sort of curious about what your biggest takeaways have been from the summer that you guys have spent with us so far and the cry havoc approach what what things have you found most useful and potentially things that you want to carry forward what i've been learning about just what it takes to be a company in new york city and and how important it is to identify yourself in your community i've realized the importance of having a really precise mission and philosophy and carrying that through in everything that you're giving to the public and at the same time having a clear idea of what your company believes in also reflecting on that and reassessing and fine-tuning as you go because there and and that applies to acting as well which i think your philosophy with that 
totally fits together, it's so important to have a main idea of what you're working on and also question that and fine tune that. Um, yeah, something that I took away from the summer is how important it is to understand what's happening and to be able to articulate it. Because up until now, I guess I always kind of like knew what felt good or right, but didn't really understand how that happened or why it happened or what I was working on to make that happen. And it just makes things a lot more clear to an actor and to an actor-director relationship because you can finally talk about what was happening. And as a director, it changes the way that you talk to your actors. It just makes it easier for everyone to understand what's happening and to get the results that you want. And do you guys have thoughts in terms of moving forward into this year? I mean, one of the things we talk about all the time is what are you working on? You know, what are the goals that you have? Do you guys have thoughts about as you're entering your respective junior and senior years in uh, college, what it is that you want to do educationally during that time and what you want to work on? I mean, I, I definitely still want to to work on the whole idea of, of being articulate in, in rehearsals and bringing that back on how I discuss things with directors and with actors. But also, I guess on a semi-personal level, I'm gonna work on doing everything that scares me in my last year of college and doing it with a confidence that I didn't have before about saying that I'm an actor or I'm a director or when I pretend that I'm writing sometimes, that I'm a writer and I'm gonna do it and know that nobody else can do what I can do, which I've learned so much this summer here at Cry Havoc, um, and just do it with a confidence that I don't think I had before. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think with acting too and auditioning, what I've learned is to just not think so much about the character and the words and just go for it with this own idea, this own secret in my head and just show who I am for them to get the callback, not to get the role. And <laughs> I'm going to try to do it with the same confidence that Ali was just talking about. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Mm -hmm. And a good place to wrap up our third season of the podcast. We'll be back in a couple of months with our fourth season. And uh, in the interim, uh, you can expect at least a couple of special episodes surrounding the 10th anniversary of the Cry Havoc Workshop, which we're celebrating uh, in September of 2011. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to let other people know about it, please tell them about it. And if you're enjoying it and are not subscribed, go to iTunes and subscribe. You can also give us stars or write us a review. If you want to know more about the Cry Havoc Company and about the public events that we have coming up, including our free early career workshops, please go to www.cryhavoccompany.org. If you would like to support the Cry Havoc podcast and all of our other free programming, please go to www.cryhavoccompany.org backslash support. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions about the podcast, or our work, please send it to podcast at cryhavocompany.org. So for myself, Jersey, Jenny, Kerry, Jen, Julia, Ali, and all of us at the Cry Havoc Company, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. 
You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.